Welcome to The Dark Academicals, the podcast where we delve into the mythos of dark academia one book at a time. I'm Sophie Waters. And I'm Sarah Purnell, and this episode we're looking at The Haunting of Hill House by Shirley Jackson. When Eleanor receives an invitation from a stranger to help investigate the strange and potentially supernatural disturbances at Hill House, she takes a leap of a lifetime and agrees to go along. The group, comprising of Eleanor, Dr Montague, Theodora and Luke, spend their days exploring the property and their nights completely in its thrall. The Haunting of Hill House is a masterclass in gothic horror and psychological windings, providing more questions than answers and very effectively scaring the wits out of its reader. And boy does it. (laughs) (laughs) So before we get stuck in, I'm just going to run through a few content warnings for The Haunting of Hill House. Obviously this is a horror novel, so they are substantial but i've just kind of picked out suicide death mental illness death of a parent blood toxic friendships and this is a big spoiler warning we will be talking about the novel in full and this isn't one that you want spoilers for it was very hard for sarah to write that summary (laughs) of the book without giving anything away Also, we'd like to remind you that we do have a newsletter that goes out every other week, although coming soon, it will be pretty much weekly. We have got big plans. Big, big plans. So if you don't (laughs) want to miss that, you can sign up at the darkacademicalsbookclub.substack.com. We've also just um, kind of opened it up to paid subscriptions for some really, really special exclusive content coming over the next few months and really ramping up in the new year so if you want to support us and support the podcast we would be very very happy to have you in our little book club very exciting it is exciting we've done many hours of planning yeah (laughs) it's it's looking really good and we're really pleased with what we've got lined up for you obviously the podcast will keep going as usual It's, it's it's something adjacent to the to the podcast supplemental that's the much better word yes (laughs) (laughs) so why did we choose the haunting of hill house other than the fact that i worship shirley jackson and (laughs) to the extent that i wrote my master's dissertation on her (laughs) but apart from that it's it's spooky season yay so this is our dark academia adjacent novel for this season of the podcast and Horror is something that we've seen play in quite a lot. And The Haunted House, which if, you, if you're if you a fan of haunted houses, uh, you might want to sub- sign up to the Dark Academicals book club. Just, just saying, just saying. <laughs> something that we see a lot is horror coming up and where better to go than to the queen of horror, in my in my opinion. <laughs> yeah, I mean, she's a very, um, I don't know what the word is. It's a very certain type of horror. So it's not horror like you might expect in the modern sense. It's not obvious horror. It's insidious and chilling and yeah. psychological horror. Definitely. <clears throat> yeah, it kind of, it raises so many questions and it makes you doubt yourself. And there's nothing... Well, there's very little on page that you point to that and go, that's a horror element, you know? There yeah. aren't creatures, there's not 
much blood. Um, there's not gore. It's just, it just worms its way into the back of your mind and just sits there and makes you question everything. It's that kind yeah. of horror. I think as well it kind of merges with the the gothic a lot and they play on the motifs of each genre kind of play on each other really well across um Shirley Jackson's novels but especially in Hill House yeah what I thought was really interesting actually was the way that she almost pokes fun at horror whilst also creating a terrifying read <laughs> yeah yeah definitely like in the character that's kind of in the characters as well isn't it they're so yeah. um what's the opposite of uh, superstitious what, what word am i looking for cynical cynical yeah about you know going to this, this house that you know no one can live in for more than a few days without either coming to a grisly end or going a little bit mad um you've got this kind of modern sensibility even though it was written in the 50s i think um yeah modern at the time um sensibility of being a little bit untouchable because they are you know modern people who aren't sucked into those superstitions and oh my goodness are they wrong <laughs> <laughs> shall we get into our tropes let's do it so first up, we have a higher education setting, often on campus and usually elite or exclusive in some way. So no, <laughs> no, it is like a, a vaguely educational um, setup. Yeah, it's got the academic vibe in the mm. sense that Dr. Montague is studying supernatural disturbances for a book that he's writing. Yeah. And so it's very studious in its concept. Yeah, so they kind of like, they lay out how they're going to approach this. Dr. Montagu wants them to all make notes and kind of bring back their feedback because he really wants to be taken seriously by the scientific community. You, I think he mentions early on in the in the book that, you know, he's been laughed off before or everything he's tried has been disproven and he's really determined that this is going to be the one. Yeah. And that... That's very much the focus for Dr. Montague. It doesn't quite extend to Eleanor, Theodora and Luke. Yeah, it, but it does have that, it has that feeling of it being like a small seminar class. Yes. At university, it's got this, yeah, like almost like you see in The Secret History, it's like a very small select group of people studying a very specific topic. Yeah, and it's it's that same kind of like, cloying overwhelming um feeling of it taking over their lives yeah and i think that really helps like because we don't really have very many other characters at all you know in the very beginning we have eleanor's sister and brother-in-law they're only in it for a few pages uh we have mrs dudley and mr dudley mr dudley is you know in there for a scene and that's it mrs dudley comes in and out so they're the caretakers uh, of the house um, they don't live there. They they come at first light and they leave before it gets dark. Um, and then you have Mrs. Montagu, who turns up for the latter part of the novel. But it's a very small cast. Yeah. 
I was actually talking to my friend who has watched the TV series but hasn't read mm. the book and um and I have read the book but haven't watched the TV series. So we were trying to talk about it and realizing that actually they are very different. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently there's a lot more characters in the TV series, but some of our oh. characters are missing, which was quite interesting. Oh. If I wasn't such a baby, I would love to watch mm-hmm. it, but I I don't think I could hack it. <laughs> I really keep going off on tangents already and <laughs> we're just going to run with it. Yeah. <laughs> can tell I've only spoken to the cat today. It's word vomit. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that, that kind of plays into the secret society element as well, doesn't it? Yeah. That insular feeling and that obsession. Yeah, and it, it's very much because they were chosen. Like, I mean, I I have no idea how this guy found these people, really. <laughs> yeah. but Especially in the 50s, were... like, there wasn't the internet. <laughs> no, exactly. But, yeah, the way that they were specifically chosen, you mm. know, makes it feel like a secret society. Um, and I suppose as well on a, on a wider, on a grander scale, this feeling that they alone are embarking on something that other people don't believe in so it already makes it a very closed off kind of world and obviously like the literal aspect of no one knows what's going on in that house other than them because it's 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 up on a hill it is outside of town you know the dudleys come in in the day and they leave at night so and all of the big stuff happens at night so they are the only ones experiencing this and you can imagine kind of in the academic world or the scientific world, you know, they could come out of this and report everything they found and it could so easily be written off because there's no one else that's verified this. Yeah. You know, it, it could so easily be attributed to like, um, like a hysteria in that group or something. Um, or just or, completely made up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And there's, and that kind of even like tightens that um that closeness and that how intricately intricately they are um involved in this experience yeah i think that's shown quite cleverly when um mrs montagu rocks up actually she's a ridiculous character isn't she <laughs> she is she gives me <laughs> mrs bennett vibes yeah okay <laughs> i see that yeah because um, she comes in like totally believing in all of the you know the supernatural and to help Dr Montague yeah. but she comes in with the stereotypical you know batty old woman who believes in ghosts you know yeah I mean that's what I was saying about how it seems to make fun of horror whilst also creating horror because it takes these very stereotypical you know like Ouija boards the planchette the mm. um what else does she have? She has something else. Oh, um, what does she have? Like a... I can't remember. Was it just the planchette that she used? I think it's just the planchette. But yeah, she... but yeah, she's very much into it. Like, And she will not hear anything. She's like, no, this is how you do it. Yeah. And I suppose the house kind of turns its back on her and goes, no. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely not, yeah. Because yeah. she goes... She definitely goes down like the, the most haunted vibe. And she's like, I'm going to spend the night in the most haunted part of this building and then she sleeps through 
everyone else getting tortured <laughs> by this <Yeah>. house. <laughs> and she wakes up in the morning and they're like, what have we just lived through? And she's like, oh, breakfast is delicious this yeah. morning. You know? Uh, <laughs> and it's like some really kind of well-needed humour at that point as well. Yeah. And I like the kind of domestic aspect that brings into it. Because you can almost see, like, how if if this house hadn't have been Hill House, you know, if it is just a grand manor house, you can kind of see how it would have existed in, in society. It would have been like a, a meeting place for, like, the upper crust. Yeah. But, you know... The, there's lots of um, talk about how it was just, it was just built wrong, it was just made wrong, and it feels wrong. Mm. You know, it's like just everything's just slightly off. Yeah. And I think Mrs. Montague's presence kind of brings that into focus quite a lot. Definitely, I also think it's a really interesting. Again, we're way off topic, but an interesting <laughs> um, kind of comparison in. Um, attitudes and working methods between the husband and the wife basically it's -hmm. it's these two very different spheres of existing trying to do the same like trying to meet the same ends yeah I think it also looks at like what we perceive as legitimate academia as well yeah because everything about Dr Montague's methods seems like you're like you wouldn't question it would you no. We're all going to experience it, but we're going to stay safe. We're going to stay together. No one does anything on their own. And we're going to keep notes. We're going to keep track. And, you know, we're all going to stick fairly close together. Um, and you don't question his methods. But the second Mrs. Montague walks in, you're like, oh, well, you know, she's now the clown, of <laughs> the, the, the academic clown um, yeah. in that way. And you but, automatically it- write off her methods you do but also it's interesting isn't it because she comes back with the same message that has been trying to like communicated to them throughout the whole thing about Mm -hmm. eleanor and um and still even with that you still write her off yeah like i think it's just very clever writing in mm -hmm. the sense that you can't consistently write her off yeah she's not wrong (laughs) yeah because that doesn't feel threatening does it at all no Whereas when that's come up before, it it does. It's incredibly clever. Old Gothic architecture. Um. Yes, but also no. I think it's in the it's in the feel rather than the actual bones of the, the actual structure. building. Yeah. Yeah, because the the overall sense of the place is very gothic. Like mm-hmm. the house feels gothic, but but architecturally wise yeah it's not at all it Um, gives me um it reminds me the way that the the layout is and how you know there's some rooms that don't have windows and mm -hmm. like it's a bit of a labyrinth in there it reminds me of the winchester house oh interesting yeah i think actually that was one of the inspirations for hill house Mm. the house if i remember correctly yeah that that would make sense but that's what it reminded me of yeah, I just want to grab the book and just read a little bit of um, 
the description of the house. So at the beginning of chapter two, we get a little bit of um, description of the house. And interestingly, we don't get um, the architecture of the house described. It the, the portrait of this house is painted in a very different, clever way. No human eye can isolate the unhappy coincidence of line and place which suggests evil in the face of a house. And yet somehow a maniac juxtaposition, a badly turned angle, some chance meeting of roof and sky, turned Hill House into a place of despair. More frightening because the face of Hill House seemed awake, with a watchfulness from the blank windows, a touch of glee in the eyebrow of a cornice. It's just... It's anthropomorphism, isn't it, of the house? The, yeah. From the it's second much, you... Go on. Yeah, it's, I was going to say, it's very much alive before you even enter it. Yeah, from the second um, Eleanor sees Hill House, she calls it vile. Mm. Um, she says it's vile, it's diseased, and it's immediately given human and villainous characteristics. Yeah. And I mean, she's she's devoured by it the moment she enters through the yeah. door. Yeah, yep. There's um, an, another quote which I, I adore. It's, it was a house without kindness, never meant to be lived in, not a, play, not a fit place for people or for love or for hope. Exorcism cannot alter the countenance of a house. Hill House would stay as it was until it was destroyed. It's that kind of... Um, the evil of this house isn't in something inhabiting it. It isn't in something um, that's come to the house and brought evil with it. The house itself, the very bricks of that house, the stones of that house are evil. Yeah. And that really changes the way that the horror feels. Because it's... Yeah. It's not subject to human whim, you know? It's not an animal or a creature that can be conquered or um, destroyed, you know? If you are in or around or connected to this house, you are subject to that horror. Yeah. I think that what I, what I really love about Hill House is that there are so many different ways to read it. Mm-hmm. Um, even just from, you know, like the the metaphor of a haunted the haunted house itself. Yeah. Like there are so many different ways that you can look at the way that it's set up. I think it's really clever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because yeah. I think I think when I was reading it, it 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 felt like overwhelmingly like the things that you build can come back to bite you in the ass, and that's whether that's yeah. something like foundations that you make with people in relationships wise or things that you've done in your past, mm-hmm. not necessarily just, and it could be things that you've built, I suppose, physically, but yeah, um, less likely in the modern. <laughs> yeah. But basically your, it, it's like your decisions and your choices mm-hmm. have a knock on effect for generations to come. Yeah. So the way I kind of dissected the haunted house when I wrote about it was with the frame of patriarchy and female oppression so the like the role of the house and the home as a frame for female oppression under the female gothic um is what i looked at under um hill house 
And I think with those kind of quotes that I highlighted, that really kind of connects with the, the frame of the patriarchy. You know, it's, it's not something that is brought by any one person. It's a, a system and a world surrounding you that you, you cannot escape if you live in that world, if you exist in that society. Because that's, that's a, a theme throughout Shirley Jackson's novels, yeah. is um, like women existing in the domestic sphere under the patriarchy. It's also like the sense of like inheriting the horrors which men create. Yeah, definitely. Women inheriting the horrors which men create, because yeah. that's written into the um, history of the house, mm-hmm. isn't it? How mm-hmm. the, the the father, is it the, the mother had passed away, the father yeah. had built this house for his family, and then it all kind of goes to shit, really. And then he, <laughs> yeah. his, his daughter inherits it, and then there's just a whole... Um, I don't know what the right word is. Not to buckle, but like just it's a... <laughs> it gets nasty. It does <laughs> for everyone that has something to do with that house. It does. Yeah. But but that poor little girl that um that book that he writes for her. Oh my gosh, horrific and again utterly a, disturbing. A very clear um again representation of the the patriarchal weight of a woman's shoulders from the second she enters the world. Yeah. Be meek, follow the rules, be a good girl, be a good wife. You know, it oh, it makes me want to scream. <laughs> we got so off topic, I can't well, even remember where we are. Well, we're up to a preoccupation with classical ah. studies. Um, I just, can we call like a study of the supernatural a classical study? I think I we guess have it... before study yeah. of the occult. Um, it depends, I suppose, on the because it's 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 almost for a, a, a lot of preoccupations in the occult. It's to do with theology. Yes, but that's true. Yeah. Interestingly, that is not that is blissfully absent apart from obviously uh, in the in the like with that book and like the sense of whenever the patriarchy is trying to hammer it home that women need to be Mm -hmm. good girls um because that's supported by religious texts (laughs) yeah exactly yeah but the theology behind the (laughs) the spirits Mm -hmm. um or whatever it is that's you know haunting them in, Mm. in hill house it's not it's not uh layered with this sense of good and evil in the terms of god and the devil yeah it's just this building is wrong yeah this place is wrong and um evil but we don't really have any kind of forced definitions of of evil or you know we don't have kind of claims of the devil or that there are malevolent spirits haunting this place it's just it is the house. Yeah. The house is at fault, um, which is refreshing. I mean, poor house. It didn't ask to be built, did it? <laughs> no, it did not. <laughs> Justice for Hill House. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think Eleanor would see it that way. Although, actually, maybe she would. 
by the end. Who knows? It's a very interesting ending. It is. And who really is to blame? That is the question. Honestly, I think Dr. Montagu, Luke and Theodora have some explaining to do. Don't they? <laughs> but that act of forcing Eleanor to leave when she was at her most vulnerable will haunt them for the rest of their lives. Yeah. And Big- um, I was just going to say that for all the discrediting we do to Mrs. Montague, she was the only one who was like, I don't think we should send her home alone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She very much played her matriarchal role and was like, yeah. no, we need to look after her. Yeah. And she was right to do that because she was in mental distress. And um, I don't know, borderline psychosis, really. At that point, she'd kind of yeah. uh, like become one with the house. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because as soon as somebody actually fully like embodies and experiences everything that the house has to offer they're like no silly get out yeah don't be silly yeah get out i i just i feel like shirley jackson's writing is so tied up with um uh gender roles and the patriarchy and i find it really hard to pull them apart because <laughs> i spent so long looking at that but i wonder how different the reaction would have been if it was dr montague or luke who experienced what eleanor did it would have been oh, well, a very it, very different ending yeah it would have just been documented and they yeah. would have just carried on with what they were doing yeah it would have just been fact it would have been proof wouldn't it but Whereas, not only was she acting very silly but a man then had to rescue her mm-hmm. and oh it's just all put us out so awfully and you just just want to be the centre of attention so just go home yeah it was there was never a question for her safety it was it was also like blaming her and like accusing her of creating the yeah, the I drama yeah it's because she wasn't acting suitably hysterical or terrified. Yeah. She embraced it. She embraced the whole experience, which she she did from the beginning, which I mm-hmm. thought was so, so interesting. Like yeah. She was enjoying it. She was happy. And yes, yeah, she was terrified. <clears throat> but she almost had to remind herself quite often to act in the way that they wanted yeah. her to. She was excited that she finally had a story. Something was happening to her. Because yeah. she's, she's spent her life caring for her mother, who has now died, and she's now, you know, she sold the house, and she's living with her older sister, who treats her like a five-year-old, whereas she's actually 34. 32, uh, actually. Oh, was it 32? <laughs> she adds on two years. She says, I don't know why I lied. Oh, was it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's... Yeah, the the treatment of Eleanor is... Honestly, you could do a whole podcast episode on just the way Eleanor is treated. Yeah. Yeah. So next up, we have murder. Murder. So, technically, no. 
But I think for all intents and purposes, probably yes. Yeah. Not in the sense that somebody was running around with a sharp object. Oh, no, no, no. It's like, it's almost like, um, what did we read? It was the end of last season where, you know, the girl was in like emotional distress and she was talked into committing suicide, basically. Oh, um. What's it called? Um, oh, it's gone. Hang on. How We Fall Apart. Oh. Yeah, yeah, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's really interesting with Hill House. I keep saying that. It's really interesting, but it is a very interesting. <laughs> it book. is. But how they essentially talk Eleanor off one edge and push her over another. another. <laughs> yeah. 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 So obviously, if you've got this far in the podcast, you should know exactly what happens. But I'm going to tell you anyway. <laughs> so Eleanor is forced from the house and um, by Dr. Montague and the others. She gets in her car and she drives down the driveway and she doesn't want to leave. She doesn't feel like she can leave. So she puts her foot down and she drives into a tree on the driveway. And from the way the narration cuts off at that point, it's kind of, I read it, that she she died. Yeah, Um, me too. I think also it would be very difficult to get a speedy kind of emergency services response to Hill House as well. So, you know, I don't think there's any any chance for her, really. No. Um, but she, she is pushed... I mean, obviously, she put her foot down. She did it. But she was pushed out of this space where she finally had people, had someone to cling to, had something to keep going for. And obviously this um, kind of obsession with Hill House that she's that she's formed. So, yeah, technically no, but also kind of. <laughs> Which is rare. We usually have a straight yes for murder. Yeah. It's nice to have some nuance. They're definitely, yeah, they're definitely um, implicit. Oh, yeah, yeah. Complicit? Complicit, yeah. Complicit, yeah. Yeah, as I said, that, that will haunt them for the rest of their lives. Specifically Dr. Montagu, I think. Yeah, I'm not sure about Theodora. Oh, no. I think Luke will. I think Luke will um, carry that. Yeah. Theodora's such an interesting character. Hmm. I hate her. <laughs> I know. So when I was talking to to my friend who's watching the series, she's like, oh, I love Theodora. She's such a badass. And I was like, oh. I'm starting to think that we've experienced very different versions <laughs> yeah. of this story. <laughs> I don't think we've yeah, <laughs> seen and read the same thing. Yeah, I was just like, she's dot, 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 interesting. <laughs> mm. But I convinced her to read it. So quite frankly, mission oh. accomplished. Which um, is, you know, the hope and dream of every reader yeah. everywhere. <laughs> so, a dark, moody and or haunting vibe. I think we could give that a fairly solid I think tip. absolutely. <laughs> like, yeah. I can't read this book in the dark. And I've read it three times. I read most of it in the light. I read some of it with company because I was terrified. <laughs> and then for the last push... 
I read it at like one in the morning. No. I wasn't feeling very well. Wasn't feeling great. And then I felt even worse and I was convinced that Hill House had made me poorly. I don't think you're, you know, a million miles off from that, really. It has that kind of power. Yeah. Yeah, it gave... I didn't sleep for the rest of the night, so... <laughs> yeah, definitely haunting. It got you. It got you good. <laughs> it got me. It spooked me. See, the first time I read it, it gave me nightmares. Because I, you know, I normally do most of my reading in the evening and in the night. Um, learned my lesson on that one. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, everything about it, like... It just gets under your skin from from the very first page. It's just such wonderfully clever writing. And it, I, it keeps you guessing because you think, oh, well, it's night time, so something horrible is going to happen. Mm-hmm. It doesn't always. The house plays games with you. <laughs> it does. It doesn't follow like a like a horror pattern, does it? It, it no. makes its own. <laughs> But it's just also those little classic details that are mm-hmm. very stereotypical horror, yeah. which still are done in such a way that I was spooked. Like Even the hands. Or well, like a door opening and closing. <laughs> yeah. Like, stop it. Stop <laughs> it. Because that's the kind of thing that had to happen when, I, when I'm in the house alone. That I'd be like, right, that's it. I'm not moving at all now mm-hmm. for at least three hours. I heard that <laughs> door close. You know, or something drops in the kitchen. You're like, what? Yeah. Hello? That is the bonus <laughs> of having cats. Always blame yeah. it on the cat. <laughs> Always blame it on the cat. <laughs> yeah, the hands. The hands. Oh, my God. Yeah, that freaked Sarah out so much that she specifically had to message me about it. <laughs> I hated that bit. It's horrible, isn't it? Because at first you're like, oh, comfort, lovely. So basically, Eleanor reaches out and holds Theodora's hand across like the gap of their twin beds. Uh, and then she realises that Theodora's on the other side of the room. It's it's such a sudden switch, isn't it, between those two moments? Yeah. It's almost like a little bit of whiplash. like. And I think that's something very specific that I can't see how that would work in a horror TV show or film. For, like, it has that, that kind of specific... Um, that close-up feel from reading yeah, it, if that makes sense. Exactly. I think because obviously you're reading it, so you're kind of feeling it along with Eleanor. So you're mm-hmm. like, okay, it's fine. We're holding Theodora's hand. It's all going to be fine. It's all <laughs> kicking off in the other room, but yeah. we're fine here. And then suddenly it's like, whose hand was I holding? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, get off me. <laughs> <laughs> it's horrible, especially in the dark when you're trying to sleep especially when you've got you know that you take on those like childhood what's under the bed or what's in the wardrobe you know it's also like, that childhood thing of like where's the safe space in the bed under the covers you find yeah exactly and it kind of it rips those covers off you doesn't it <laughs> yeah Ugh. horrible <laughs> hero worship of a particular figure or author uh, not in a traditional sense, I don't think, here. No. Uh, Eleanor gets a little bit worshipy of Theodora. She does. I read this very sapphic-coded. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I know, I know, I, th- I think, it, I, well, I, I don't know. I don't know what I'm trying to say, but it feels, <laughs> <laughs> it does feel very 
uh, queer. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree on that one. Um, it's that kind of like sudden intense infatuation vibes, isn't it? Yeah, and it's some of the some of the um, ways certain scenes are described mm-hmm. that even though it's obviously like this very horrible, horrific, terrifying, there are some scenes where yeah, Eleanor and Theodore are often in quite. They're not. I, I. I mean, I said the word compromising, but that's not. That's not the word I'm looking for. But very like close. Intimate. Intimate. Yeah. Positioning within a scene. Mm-hmm. They're um, always touching. They're always um, entwined in some way, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely queer coding on that though. Yeah, and then obviously I think it kind of gets shattered. I mean. For Eleanor, there definitely seems to be like a very uh, easy swing between love and hate with Theodora, which I get because mm-hmm. Theodora yeah. is a shit. She is. Um, <laughs> but it's this—it's the way that she gets fully rejected by Theodora, mm-hmm. and then I think every pretty much, it really does start to change from that point as well, doesn't it? Where, yeah. um. Eleanor is saying that after this is finished, can I come home with you? Like, I don't, I don't want to live with you. We'll just live in the same neighbourhood. We'll see each other all the time. And Theodora is like, no. Yeah. Which, I mean, to be fair, like, <laughs> they've known each other, <laughs> like, three days at this point. Yeah. But at the same time, like, if someone's living in in your town, in your neighbourhood, it's not like you actually have to have anything to do with them. No, um, and... And Theodora does come on strong in the beginning. Yes. It's very much like we are best friends forever from like the moment they meet. Well, yeah, like they decide they're cousins, don't they? <laughs> yeah. I, I, as an aside, I adore the the way that the the speech and the banter, for want of a better word, between the characters go. Yes. It, it's very, dare I say it, Gilmore Girls in the way it, it bounces. Is. And the way it just snowballs into something ridiculous, but it's still related and it's still kind of relevant to the action and the scene. Yeah. But it's also, you could uh, mistake it for being just absolute nonsense. Yeah, absolutely. You're, you're totally right there. And it's it's just fun, isn't it? It's Again, it's another dose of kind of much needed humour um, in... In amongst yeah. all the horror. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they do consistently and continually try and convince themselves that this is all just a fun lark. Yeah. They desperately are trying to make themselves <laughs> think that they're fine, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> and they're, they're, no, they're not. <laughs> I think the only other instance of hero worship in obviously a bit more of an abstract way is Eleanor's feelings about Hill House by the end. Yeah. Because there are lots of um, comments about how she is now one with the house. She sees and feels and hears what the house hears and feels and sees. Yeah. It's that uh, kind of... She almost becomes a spirit of Hill House, doesn't she? Yeah. But at the same time... Eleanor is such an unreliable narrator. 
you kind of have to take what Eleanor tells you with a pinch of salt. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, and then other things you have to accept as the absolute truth. Like, she she constantly tells you that she's a liar. Yeah. And I believe her. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. She she does like little exaggerations, doesn't she? Little um, yeah, little tidbits here and there. Yeah, she'll be like, "Oh, I don't know why I lied," or "I don't know why I said that," because that's not true. Yeah. You know, like, how much else are you telling us that exactly, isn't true? Exactly, exactly. Especially as you know, we we um kind of we're with Eleanor from the beginning, aren't we? So by the time we've learned this about her, we already kind of trust her because she's our protagonist. Yeah. And then Shirley Jackson goes, uh, uh, uh. (laughs) Not that I could ever imagine her doing that, to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) So next up we have old money, which will collide with new money or no money. Everyone's pretty well off, aren't they? Yeah, I think there is this kind of feeling that maybe Eleanor is at the bottom of the rung somehow, yeah. even though she's quite clearly, you know, she's she's more, um, she's got a lot more mobility and access than a lot of women yes. would have who mm-hmm. were at her time. Yeah, and at her age as well. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. But I think basically once they're there, it's not really... It's totally irrelevant, isn't it? Yeah, because... Yeah, because they're there. There's nothing. There's not. It's like it's not like anything that they can buy or any kind of real show of wealth that people can't keep up with. No. It's just. Yeah, it's, it's just Hill House. Yeah, but yeah. I think they're all. They are all on the same kind of <clears throat> level. Yeah, I think maybe the only difference is Luke, because obviously Luke is heir to Hill House, so he, you know he's got this ginormous manor house, you know just waiting for him when his aunt dies. But at the same time, like, this house is unsellable. Yeah. It's unrentable. It just sits there draining money because they're, you know, paying two housekeepers to look after it. So I think that even evens out Luke. Yeah. Who would otherwise be um, kind of in prime position for that, that trope, really. Yeah. Hmm. So then we have weather as a literary device. There's um, not really that much weather. It's mostly no. light and dark. And, um, you know, sun and, <laughs> you know, all the all of that that has the effect that weather would normally take, isn't it? Yeah, it's just that it's more the difference of night and day rather than the changing weather. Yeah, it's that, it's that countdown to how long you've got before the sun goes down. And then when you're in the grip of the house at night, how long you have to survive until the sun comes up. Yeah. Which I think is a really interesting way to kind of frame the horror, considering it's not a creature, it's not a spirit, it's the house. Yeah. I think as it preys upon the like the, the minds of them more than anything. So you're more vulnerable in the dark, I think. Yes, yeah. Aren't you? So, Especially mentally. Yeah, it's just a natural kind of human reaction to be a bit fearful of the dark because you can't see. Yeah, yeah, definitely. 
And I guess it, it also, nighttime and darkness also brings um, isolation as well, doesn't it? You don't have yeah. distractions. You don't have things going on around you. You don't have, um, uh, like, those markers of your day to get through. You, It's just you and your brain. <laughs> which can be a dangerous <laughs> situation even if you're not at Hill House. Yeah. So yeah, definitely night and day for, rather than weather mm. for this one. So finally, we have underdeveloped social skills or the protagonist is portrayed as an outsider. I don't think she has underdeveloped social skills at all. No. And she very quickly becomes one of the group. I mean, there's only four of them. I think she's an outsider only, not in terms of they perceive her as an outsider, not at the beginning anyway. No. Um, Just in how she seems to be reacting and feeling to everything that's happening. Okay, yeah. Yeah, that is true. But it's not in the in the sense it's not actually ostracizing her from the group until the end. Mm. Yeah, that's true. And it's a it's a different construction of how that outsider is formed compared to dark academia traditionally, isn't it? Yeah. So normally it's like that outsider trying to become part of a group, whereas in this instance we've got Eleanor who is part of the group whose own actions and motivations or, I guess, the influence of Hill House, depending on how you want to look at it, is then pushing her outside of the norms of that group. Yeah. So that kind of turns it on its head quite nicely. <clears throat> but, like, as a group, I think they're, they're fairly tight-knit. They're all on an even playing field, aren't they? Yeah, I think so. So that is all of our tropes for The Haunting mm. of Hill House. Was there anything that you wanted to to pull apart separately for this one? Oh my gosh, we could have a whole separate podcast for everything <laughs> that I'd want to pull apart right? separately. I feel like, for the sake of the length of this podcast, no. <laughs> <laughs> I think we've touched on most of the things that I wanted to talk about. Fair enough. We have chatted a bit on this one. So many tangents. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, in summary, go read Shelley Jackson. Do yourself a favour. Yeah. Just don't do it at night. Well, it depends. It depends if you like. I mean, to if, be if yeah, exactly. I mean, I do not. <laughs> <laughs> I am a baby. <laughs> I do, but then I hate myself for it. You know what I mean, like I instant I want regret. To be instant regret, and yet I do it every time. I was reading. I mean. We'll mention it now. I was reading, starting to read the book for our next episode. And it's pitch black outside. I'm on my own in the bathroom, in the bath, reading this book, going, I probably shouldn't do this. (laughs) (laughs) I am very much looking forward to that one. And we'll tell you all about it in a second. But first, is The Haunting of Hill House Dark Academia? No. No, it's psychological horror with some gothic thrown in there as well. But it's not it's not far removed. No, you can definitely see the influence there, especially in terms of how Shirley Jackson uh, deals with a haunted house. I think you can see the echoes through haunted house fiction from yeah. this novel. 
I think it could very easily be turned into dark academia with some mm. like very small tweaks, but we wouldn't want to do that because it's perfect as it is. Exactly. <laughs> so our next... Oh, Go on, sorry. I just thought of something that I actually will want to mention was how ridiculous was that guy that Mrs. Montague brought with her? Is he called Adam? Uh, what was he called? I can't remember. The guy who has a gun and he's like, don't worry, ladies. And I'm his... locked and loaded, but <laughs> and... I'm a good shot. And his spirit guide. <laughs> 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 oh, I can't remember what his name is. Me neither. Um... But he's got to, he can only be here till Monday because he's got to get back to he's... the principal, don't you know? And yeah. He's got young minds to mould and he's just like, what a bell end. And everything that comes out of his mouth is exactly what you would expect. <laughs> <laughs> Arthur. Arthur, there we go. Arthur, what an idiot. I know. Um, <laughs> Absolutely but yeah. ridiculous. I just... words for Arthur, what an idiot. <laughs> I just love that he has a spirit guide. Oh, <laughs> it, just, it just topped off that duo of him and uh, Mrs. Montague <laughs> absolutely perfectly. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so next up, we will be looking at She is a Haunting by Trang Than Tran. Jade has always lied to fit in. She's straight enough, Vietnamese enough, American enough, at least for this summer with her estranged father in Vietnam. Just five weeks of ignoring the quietly decaying French colonial house he's fixing up, then college and freedom are hers. But soon Jade begins waking up every morning, certain that something has clawed down her throat from the inside. Then the ghost of a beautiful bride visits her with a cryptic warning, don't eat. When her father and little sister don't believe her, Jade disguised to scare them into leaving by staging some haunting events of her own. She recruits Florence, the daughter of her dad's business associate, and more of a distraction than Jane, Jade bargained for, to help. But the house has other plans. It's hungry. A home, after all, is only as powerful as those who breathe new life into its bones. And this one is determined never to be abandoned again. Well... Really appreciate the guy who started using power tools halfway through reading that. I know, it was good. (laughs) Thanks for that, dude. Yeah, I'm really excited about this one, especially following on from Hill House. Yeah. It's gonna be good. So that will be with you in two weeks' time if you are listening to this um, as the episodes come out. Mm -hmm. So once again, if you want to sign up to our mailer or even become a paid subscriber and join um, all of the fun stuff that is coming your way, starting this with month. an exclusive episode coming your way this month, October. And we would love to have you there. If you enjoyed this episode, we would really appreciate you subscribing, following, liking, doing all of those things um, for the podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. It helps us out a huge amount and we appreciate it. So thank you very much for listening and we will speak to you in a few weeks. Bye. Bye.